Volume One, Chapter Seventeen of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald. Volume One, Chapter Seventeen. When Dorforth was alone with Sandford, he explained to him what before he had only hinted, and this learned Jesuit frankly confessed that the mind of woman was far above or rather beneath his comprehension it was so indeed for with all his penetration and few even of that school had more he had not yet penetrated into the recesses of miss milner's heart miss woodley to whom she repeated all that had passed between herself her guardian and sandford took this moment in the agitation of her spirits to alarm her still more by prophetic insinuations and at length represented to her here for the first time the necessity that mr dorforth and she no longer should remain under the same roof that was like the stroke of sudden death to miss milner and clinging to life she endeavoured to avert the blow by prayers and by promises her friend loved her too sincerely to be prevailed upon but in what manner can i accomplish the separation cried she for till i marry we are obliged by my father's request to live in the same house miss milner answered miss woodley much as i respect the will of a dying man i regard your and mr dorforth's present and eternal happiness much more and it is my resolution that you shall part if you will not contrive the means that duty falls on me and without any invention i see the measure at once what is it cried miss milner eagerly i will reveal to mr dorforth without hesitation the real state of your heart which your present inconsistency of conduct will but too readily confirm you would plunge me into so much shame and so much anguish cried she distractedly no replied miss woodley not for the world if you will separate from him by any mode of your own but that you shall separate is my determination and in spite of all your sufferings this shall be the expedient unless you instantly agree to some other good heaven miss woodley is this your friendship yes and the truest friendship i have to bestow think what a task i undertake for your sake and his when i condemn myself to explain to him your weakness what astonishment what confusion what remorse do i foresee painted upon his face i hear him call you by the harshest names and behold him fly from your sight for ever as an object of his detestation oh spare the dreadful picture fly from my sight for ever detest my name oh my dear miss woodley let but his friendship for me still remain and i will consent to anything you may command me and i will go away from him directly but let us part in friendship oh without the friendship of mr dorforth life would be a heavy burden indeed miss woodley immediately began to contrive schemes for their separation and with all her invention alive on the subject the following was the only natural one that she could form miss milner in a letter to her distant relation at bath was to complain of the melancholy of a country life which she was to say her guardian imposed upon her and she was to entreat the lady to send a pressing invitation that she would pass a month or two at her house this invitation was to be laid before dorriforth for his approbation and the two ladies were to enforce it by expressing their earnest wishes for his consent this plan having been properly regulated the necessary letter was sent to bath and miss woodley waited with patience but with a watchful guard upon the conduct of her friend 
till the answer should arrive. During this interim, a tender and complaining epistle from Lord Frederick was delivered to Miss Milner, to which, as he received no answer, he prevailed upon his uncle, with whom he resided, to wait upon her and obtain a verbal reply, for he still flattered himself that fear of her guardian's anger, and perhaps his interception of the letter which he had sent, was the sole cause of her apparent indifference. The old gentleman was introduced both to Miss Milner and to Mr. Dorriforth, but received from each an answer so explicit that left his nephew no longer in doubt but that all farther pursuit was vain. Sir Edward Ashton, about this time, also submitted to a formal dismissal, and had the mortification to reflect that he was bestowing upon the object of his affections the tenderest proof of his regard, by absenting himself entirely from her society. Upon this serious and certain conclusion to the hopes of Lord Frederick, Dorforth was more astonished than ever at the conduct of his ward. He had once thought her behaviour in this respect was ambiguous, but since her confession of a passion for that nobleman, he had no doubt but in the end she would become his wife. He lamented to find himself mistaken, and thought it proper now to condemn her caprice, not merely in words, but in the general tenor of his behaviour. He consequently became more reserved, and more austere than he had been since his first acquaintance with her, for his manners, not from design, but imperceptibly to himself, had been softened since he became her guardian, by that tender respect which he had uniformly paid to the object of his protection. Notwithstanding the severity he now assumed, his ward, in the prospect of parting from him, grew melancholy. Miss Woodley's love to her friend rendered her little otherwise, and Dorforth's particular gravity, frequently rigor, could not make their whole party less cheerful than it had been. Lord Elmwood, too, at this time, was lying dangerously ill of a fever. Miss Fenton, of course, was as much in sorrow as her nature would permit her to be, and both Sandford and Dorforth in extreme concern upon his lordship's account. In this posture of affairs, the letter of invitation arrives from Lady Luneham at Bath. It was shown to Dorforth, and to prove to his ward that he is so much offended, as no longer to feel that excessive interest in her concerns which he once felt, he gives an opinion on the subject with indifference. He desires, Miss Milner will do what she herself thinks proper. Miss Woodley instantly accepts this permission, writes back, and appoints the day upon which her friend means to set off for the visit. Miss Milner is wounded at the heart by the cold and unkind manners of her guardian, but dares not take one step to retrieve his opinion. Alone, or to her friend, she sighs and weeps. He discovers her sorrow, and is doubtful whether the departure of Lord Frederick from that part of the country is not the cause. When the time she was to set out for Bath was only two days off, the behaviour of Dorforth took, by degrees, its usual form, if not a greater share of polite and tender attention than ever. It was the first time he had parted from Miss Milner since he became her guardian, and he felt upon the occasion a reluctance. He had been angry with her, he had shown her that he was, and he now began to wish that he had not. She is not happy, he considered within himself. Every word and action declares she is not. I may have been too severe, and added perhaps to her uneasiness. At least we will part on good terms, said he. Indeed, my regard for her is such, I cannot part otherwise. She soon discerned his returning kindness, and it was a gentle tie that would have fastened her to that spot for ever, but for the firm resistance of Miss Woodley. 
"'What will the absence of a few months effect?' said she, pleading her own cause. "'At the end of a few months at farthest he will expect me back, and where then will be the merit of this separation?' "'In that time,' replied Miss Woodley, "'we may find some method to make it longer.' To this she listened with a kind of despair, but uttered she was resigned, and prepared for her departure." Dorforth was all anxiety that every circumstance of her journey should be commodious. He was eager that she should be happy, and he was eager she should see that he entirely forgave her. He would have gone part of the way with her, but for the extreme illness of Lord Elmwood, in whose chamber he passed most of the day, and slept in Elmwood House every night. On the morning of her journey, when Dorforth gave his hand and conducted Miss Milner to the carriage, all the way he led her, she could not restrain her tears, which increased, as he parted from her, to convulsive sobs. He was affected by her grief, and though he had previously bid her farewell, he drew her gently on one side, and said, with the tenderest concern, "'My dear Miss Milner, we part friends? I hope we do. On my side depend upon it, that I regret nothing so much at our separation as having ever given you a moment's pain.' I believe so, was all she could utter, for she hastened from him, lest his discerning eye should discover the cause of the weakness which thus overcame her. But her apprehensions were groundless. The rectitude of his own heart was a bar to the suspicion of hers. He once more kindly bade her adieu, and the carriage drove away. Miss Fenton and Miss Woodley accompanied her part of the journey, about thirty miles, where they were met by Sir Henry and Lady Luneham. Here was parting nearly as affecting as that between her and her guardian. Miss Woodley, who for several weeks had treated her friend with a rigidness she herself hardly supposed was in her nature, now bewailed that she had done so, implored her forgiveness, promised to correspond with her punctually, and to omit no opportunity of giving her every consolation short of cherishing her a fatal passion. But in that, and that only, was the heart of Miss Milner to be consoled. End of chapter 17 An end of the first volume